welcome to a Minor Detail Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Miner. I'm an independent journalist. You could say I'm a bit of a disruptor. On this show, I call it as I see it. Partisan politics, forget about it. Left, right, whatever. This show is about getting to the root of every story, politics be damned. I report on Maryland politics and news at aminordetail.com. This is episode 265. Today is Sunday, May the 3rd, 2020. My guest is Len Foxwell. He's the comptroller of Maryland's chief of staff, and of course he's no stranger to the detail. This episode, you don't want to miss. Foxwell, we're live, brother. Feels so good to be back, my friend. Oh my gosh, man. I'll tell you what, it's been... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's been a week. It's been a month. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, they call and say, yeah, just checking in. They'll say, how are you doing? And I'll say, listen, to be honest, I have my help. Mm-hmm. God, my family is healthy and I, I, I have my job. Wow. And for that reason, in the context of what's happening in the world around us, I honestly feel like I've won the lottery. Well, I think, right. you, what's the old Lou Garrett? I feel like the luckiest man in the world. Luckiest man on the face of the earth. Yeah. And that's, that's how I feel. And um, if nothing else, this whole experience in our country and around our state has reminded us of just how fragile life can be, how fragile um, our health can be, how fragile our financial security can be. So I, I, no matter what happens moving forward, man, I've learned one thing, which is to never take it for granted. Well, look, Foxwell, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the trials and tribulations that you've been in, but I got to ask you from from my for my duty is to talk about this and look, it was uh it was an interesting couple of days 2 weeks ago on Saturday, you got some pushback for making a post that some say <laughs> called for was it genocide? Um and and I'll just preface this question with if anybody has ever followed your postings, if anybody who knows you like I know you and your closest friends do, they know that it was written in satire that never in a million years would Len Foxwell advocate for that. But, you know, you wrote the post. You got a lot of pushback from people all over the state, a lot of Trump supporters who were angry. And then they subsequently demanded that you be fired from a job that you've held with the comptroller for what, Len, 12 years? I came in with the comptroller. Uh, Peter took office in 2007, and I, I came in with him. So 13 years, mm-hmm. 12 as his chief of staff. So it's been a good run. Look, you're still gainfully employed. <laughs> Look, I mean, just, just to put it in context, because a lot of people asked about it. Um, of course, of course, I didn't call for anything of the sort. Uh, if anyone reads the post, it was written in a spirit of playful fun. And it was picked up by, frankly, some national activists and some national provocateurs and stand out because this is what this is what the alt-right is doing these days. They're finding they're finding perceived villains wherever they can just to kind of push the narrative of victimization, all of which to say they have a right to do it. It came it went. It was intent. The burn was fast. The burn dissipated quickly. And more than anything else, it was just a, a needless distraction from the real work at hand. I mean, I got to tell you, in my job, I have, a, I have the 
I'm not sure opportunity is the right word, but I get so many calls in the course of a day, as do all of my colleagues from people who are just trying to find a voice on the other end of the phone line, whether they're, they're trying to log on to the state's unemployment portal and not having, not having much luck, or they're wondering, you know, when their, you know, small business benefits are coming through, or they just want to know maybe, um, you know, uh, you know, have you processed my tax return yet? And where's my refund? And maybe it was held in, held in suspense for some reason. And you do everything you possibly can to help these people, but you realize in listening to their stories, that there are just so many people out there that are just hanging on by a thread right now. And that's the story that has to be our focus. And that has to be the sole priority of all of us who serve in public life and other things like, like a Facebook skirmish um, egged on by a lot of people who live out of state. It just ultimately doesn't matter at the end. Uh, it's people who are struggling that are, truly keep me up at night. Well, I saw the comment threads that were nonstop on Saturday two weeks ago. Some were really bad, and it was a low point in state politics. And they, from everything from demanding that you resign to threat, they always threaten they're not going to vote for Peter. I mean, that's fine. Uh, and then they, it, it, it took off, it went viral um, but the reason why I think it went viral then is because it struck a nerve. And I think that people may have felt that you a attacked the reopened Maryland people. However, it wasn't an, it wasn't just an attack, but it was an honest assessment of the foolhardy, irresponsible, uh, actions that they were taking by showing up to the state capitol when the governor in it issued a stay-at-home order. Nobody, I'm not willing to risk my family. You're not willing to risk your son and daughter or your wife, and I'm not willing to risk my son and daughter and my wife or my aging grandparents, your aging parents. I'm not willing to risk the, the so-called liberty argument that you know their freedoms are being attacked. And I think that that's silly. I think that they have no less freedoms that they have today than they had uh, five, six, seven weeks ago. And I think you struck a nerve, Lynn, and I, I thought that it was poignant commentary, it was satire, and the reaction, of course, was another opportunity for the destructive Trump cabal, the right wing, to say, hey, here's this guy, and he's, they called you every single name possible, liberal, progressive, or whatever, do they really even know you? Like we know yeah. you. I mean, hey Ryan, hey Ryan, I can tell you, man. I, um, I got a lot of phone calls, as you can imagine, over that weekend. Yeah. And and I started to write down the area codes, and I would go, I would just go online and try to figure out where these were coming from because mm -hmm. these were four four three four one zero three zero one. These were not the Maryland area codes. They weren't even two zero two or seven zero three. So they weren't even coming in the region. And honestly, the vast majority of phone calls I was getting, somehow they found my personal number. Oh, wow. They were coming from, honestly, places like Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Washington State. They were coming from the West. And these are people who have no connection to the state of Maryland. They've probably never been to the state of Maryland. But uh, the story was fanning out on some alt-right blogs and websites. And this was, I was just the latest target momentary target before they went on to 
Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan or the poor guy, the mayor down in Jackson, Mississippi, who is suspending the city's concealed carried laws during the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, they, they always have to have somebody and for um, a very eventful 48 to 72 hour period, yeah, it was me. And it, it's just part of, the, it's part of the cost of doing business. It happened and it's over. Did Peter have anything to say to you? I, I, I'm sure that you guys talked, and I'm not asking you to reveal any private conversations, but if I know one thing about Peter Francho from having covered him for years is that this stuff rolls off of his back. And, you know, Lynn, was there ever a time where you thought, man, this is it, that my job's in jeopardy? No, in fact, you got to remember something about Peter. Peter first came to prominence when, as a member of the Maryland House of Delegates in 1988, he was a lead. He was the lead sponsor of a bill that would abolish handgun ownership, private handgun ownership in the state of Maryland. Period. Uh, it would. It was an avant-garde. It would be an avant-garde position if he were doing it today. As you can imagine, in 1988, it was completely out there on the edge of the rim, and you know it's just the first of many tough fights he's fought over the course of his career. Um, he told me to hang in there and he just said, just, he said, just remember that most of the people in this state, I mean, the vast majority are good people and they're just really hurting and anxious right now. The MD. So, yeah. I mean, Lynn, the NDGOP ended up calling for your resignation. What an opportune moment for them. And we're talking about the deeply fractured, uh, just, crippled financially, morally, and ethically MDGOP. And I had a, I got to tell you, Dirk Hare, yeah, going on TV for his 15 minutes. I mean, here's a guy who has done absolutely nothing at this, at the MDGOP. They hired uh, a dental assistant to be their executive director. And there's nothing wrong with dental assistants, but they don't have the requisite uh, authority or experience to step in a role um, as such as promoting the, the their state party, and then they went on television, or well, they went on to these different media outlets, and they raised their fists because they know deep down inside that Peter Francho will be the most formidable candidate in any general election. And and I look at that objectively and politically, and they thought, well, if we can get rid of Foxwell, who's been in state politics for 25 years, then that's one knock against Francho. Well, let me tell you what. It, Peter Francho has been punched. You've been punched several times. There's been a couple of fire Lynn campaigns. Yeah, and you know, I, I, that was the, of, of everything that happened during that crazy two to three day period. And trust me, there was a lot of crazy going on, including the guy who showed up at my house with with moon pies. Are you but, serious? Wow. Yeah. Um, did you accept them? But the, I did. <laughs> I did. I, I, I'll, I'll confess for the audience right here. As much as I have made fun of moon pies, and as much as I've made that kind of the symbol of the the um, the improbable symbol of the alt right movement in Maryland, um, I kind of like them. Hmm. I have to say it. Have that, to try that, it. There's the news I've made, and we're only 11 minutes in. <laughs> I could, honestly, what I couldn't figure out about dark hair, and no one has been able to come up with a cogent explanation is why is he, as the chairman of the party that currently has the state house, and who has as his party's head, a wildly popular governor who is earning national acclaim for the 
thoughtful, skilled, and responsible manner in which he's handled this crisis. Why is he leaning in to the extremist alt-right and, and the members of the Patriot Movement? Yeah, these are the descend these are the philosophical descendants of Waco and Ruby Ridge. If you remember, that's who my comments yeah. were directed toward. Why is he leaning into that element of our political system and not Larry Hogan, who is by all intents and accounts, a franchise player for the Republican Party now who is beloved by both parties? They don't. They, they're, they're angry at Larry. They're pissed at him because they think that he did not do enough in 2018. They won the governor's mansion. And this is the wing of the party. The Dirk Hare wing, the Corrine Frank wing of the party are the people who the Danielle Hornbergers, the Cecil County race up in uh, the executive race. This yeah. is the wing of the party that take photographs with Dan Bongino and hang them on the wall and next to the Pope and maybe, I don't know, Kennedy. Um, it, these are the people who worship at the altar of Trump and they see Larry Hogan as, what, a rhino? For what? Leadership? For advocating for to keep my family and your family and all of our families safe? And it's just, it's just goofy and I think that, it, look, their party's going to lose. It, they don't win. It's, it's a joke. They, the leadership is a, is a joke, um, notwithstanding Nicolae Ambrose, who's, I think, done a, a pretty decent job. But nonetheless, you know, I saw that and I said, they're going to get their kicks in. And then in three days, they're going to go back to being completely irrelevant. Because you, you think Larry Hogan's picking up the phone and saying, hey, Dirk Hare, let me ask you something. What do you think about our coronavirus response? I'm sure Dirk Hare doesn't even have Larry Hogan's phone number uh, stored in his iPhone. Hmm. Well, if he did, then I'm sh I'm sure that he's busy texting. It's it's just silliness. Uh, and and Lynn, you know, I, I want to just wrap up this segment because we've we've exhausted this. What's the learning lesson from this? Would you, if you had the opportunity to do it over again, would you put out the post? Um, knowing, knowing that it would create that kind of a distraction. No, of course not. Um, because, uh, you know, we are in a time, uh, we are, we are in the greatest crisis that our country has faced in our lifetime. And we haven't even, we're not even, we're not even halfway through it right now, my, Ryan. We, it is a public health crisis that has given way to an economic crisis, the lives of which we've never seen before. Our office has put out data uh, about two weeks ago, showing that if this state remains on lockdown for another month and a half or so, we, we are looking at a budget deficit of $2.8 billion, billion with a B, dollars in this fiscal year alone. Uh, we're seeing sectors of the economy disintegrating before our eyes, like the hospitality sector, which is has lost 60% uh, of its receipts and 90% of its withholding receipts. So that's kind of an indication of how many people have lost their jobs. That's where the focus has to be, not on silly social media back and forth. So no, if I had to do over again, I would keep the focus of the state and of our state officials and our state agencies squarely where it has to be, which is on working people, taxpayers, and small businesses who are hanging on by a thread and need our help. Do you ever feel at any time that your safety was in jeopardy? Yeah, I did. Did you, did. Uh, and did you take extra, I mean, I know you shut down your Facebook for page for a day or so, and that was obviously a smart move because of the 
the, the barrage of negativity. And look, Lynn, it was toxic. Uh, you know, I was on your Facebook page and I was, I made comments too. And, uh, you know, I had people pulling up pictures of my wife and kids. I mean, you saw yeah, that. that. And you said, you know, look, you're barking up the wrong tree. And, uh, it, well, I wasn't worried. Yeah. I wasn't worried. Listen, I wasn't worried about myself, honestly, because I get paid to deal with the crazy. If you're, yeah. in, if you're in public life and if you're in the position I'm in, you're going to, you're going to step on a hornet's nest from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, to your question, I felt like there were times that my family's uh, safety was in jeopardy, and uh, without getting into details, we took some pretty um, pretty strong immediate precautions to make sure that they were not in harm's way. And if you may have seen I actually resigned from a board that I value very much. It's called the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Yeah, I was married about um, about uh, less than 500 yards away. <laughs> so, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing place. It's a wonderful that, place. One of the leading repositories of maritime history and uh, marine research in the country. And I actually resigned from the board because board members were being doxxed and the executive director was getting some awful messages, threatening messages, obscene messages from some very scary people. And I said, you know what? Again, I get paid to deal with this. They don't. Let me just separate myself from them so at least they can go back to doing the jobs that they were hired to do. Yeah, and I'm sorry that you had to do that, and I understand why you did it. It's a culture that we live in, which is destruction. Immediately, it was, we want his job. To hit you, think about it, they want to hit you financially. They want to hit you where it hurts because they disagree with your political opinion, and they will go to every length possible to destroy your character, to destroy your family, to destroy your livelihood. It's happened to me before. Right. It's, I mean, people have called my employers, people have uh, sent anonymous emails that have been harmful, and I haven't lived the perfect life, but I, but, you know, f for quite a bit of time, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've made mistakes and have amended for them, but even still, if you have a political opinion, you have got to, be, you have to watch out, because people will come after you in the most grotesque ways, and I know it's the business that we're in, but I think it, it's brought on by by Donald Trump, I think it's brought on by the people in the part and some of the members of the party. There's some really good Republicans. My wife is a registered Republican, and there's some really decent people who are Republicans. And I know a lot of people uh, who support Trump, like my parents. Uh, but I mean, they're they're not huge supporters. My dad, who's a wonderful guy, and they they simply believe that it's a it's it's about economics, and sometimes they ignore. The stuff that I can't ignore, but I no less respect them. I understand them, and I know a lot of good, decent Trump supporters. But there is a, there is a cabal. There is a group of Trump supporters who will go out of their way to make their lives living hell. And Lynn, there's a pattern. It's there's a pattern. There's a demographic. It's usually a middle-aged white guy who's pissed off at the world. And and I and look, my job as a journalist is to be honest and transparent, and I'm just going to put it out there. There's a lot of angry white guys out there, and it's unfortunate. Um, what I did during the whole crisis, and again, it, it came and it came and it went pretty quickly. I went about my job. I showed up for work the next day, which happened to be you know the basement of my house. That's where I'm working these days in this era of stay at home, and I went right back to it the very next day. <laughs> Because as, as I told a reporter from my local newspaper here in Easton, the Star Democrat, which you're familiar with, mm -hmm. she called and said, how are you doing? I said, trust me, the hits I'm taking, 
ain't nothing compared to the hits ordinary people are taking in this state right now. No, yeah, and it's it's and bad. My health, and, I, and I have my and I have my job because Peter Francis said I still have my job, so I'm doing a heck of a lot better than millions of people around the country and hundreds of thousands of people here in this state. So don't worry about me. Did you keep? Did you did you hang the Scott Bayo poster? I haven't gotten it yet. Oh, because I um, saw that he he wrote you out a note. I mean, he wrote me out a note. I've been waiting for it because you know, look, I remember happy days just like everybody else, right? I remember when I remember when Chachi started the grease fire at at Arnold's restaurant, right? When Al <laughs> when Al left for the night, I, I, you know, I remember all that. But you know, I told somebody the other day. It's kind of like Chachi's own spinoff episode, his own spinoff series, Johnny, Johnny Loves Chachi. It yeah. started out with a great deal of promise, but ultimately failed to deliver. Well, that was the most attention Scott Bale will probably ever get from the state of Maryland in his career. So God bless him. I'm, I, he added a little humor to it, um, but no less. Len, he, has good, he has a good spirit. He's a, he has a good spirit. Yeah. So let me ask you, let's talk sure. about... COVID-19, I'm assuming that you're hunkering down and are you, are you traveling into work? Are you going over to the, to, to Annapolis? Um, where are you pretty much sequestered at? So I'm primarily working out of my basement study mm -hmm. right now. Uh, the shrine to Washington Nationals baseball. Mm. And it's my a shirt, man. A week at, at circum I love it, man. I love that actually. And that color looks good on you. <laughs> Thanks days a week if there's a if if peter's coming in for a board of public works meeting or if there are operations issues to which i need to attend in the comptroller's office i'll cross the bridge and go to annapolis but that's one or two days a week max i mean i am really trying to lead by example and stay home and and, and ride this out and spend as much time and money honestly supporting local businesses as i possibly can it's been a tremendous businesses like called classic brewing Located on Ken Island in Queen Anne's County. Well, let me tell you, let me just give a brief incidental aside, is that we did our end-of-the-year wrap-up show of 2019 at Cult Classic Brewery. It was one of the best nights, and we stood next to our dear friend Eric Galley and Clay Mitchell and uh, his lovely wife. It was a moment to remember, and I think we went for two hours, Lynn, that night. <laughs> I think we went for more than two hours. I, I, think, I think I got there around 5 o'clock, and... I think it was almost eight o'clock by the time we rolled out of there, man. It yeah. just flew by. It was it was pretty. It was long. Yeah, and I and I and I, uh, and I and I still check in with Jesse and Brooks from time to time. And Brian, I gotta tell you, um, our craft beer sector is hurting right now. I mean, I know every sector of the economy is taking a hit, but this is an this is an industry where um, their tap rooms are absolutely a vital, indispensable element of their success. And when you shut down the tap room, you can't have those public gathering places. Uh, you're basically cutting off their lifeblood. So um, I think that when, I think there are so many lessons that have to be learned or so many lessons that have to be uh, looked at when the, when we get through this immediate public health crisis and get back to some semblance of normal business, um, we're going to need a fundamentally different way in which we approach the economy. And just one, one element of that is completely review, reviewing top to bottom the, the laws that govern how we produce, transport, and sell alcohol beverages in the state of Maryland. 
this is going to have we're going to have to just completely review the three tier system as it currently is set up. I want to talk about what the comptroller's office is doing, but first, could I get your perspective on how the state has so far handled this crisis and your thoughts on Governor Larry Hogan's response personally and his leadership? My God, Brian, I think I don't think I'm alone here. I mean, obviously. I think I speak for the overwhelming majority of Marylanders in saying that I'm just so proud to have Larry Hogan as my governor. Well, we, we know he's a great man. We know he's a great governor. I think what we have been reminded of over the course of this crisis is that he is also a good man. I, I see that. And, you know, someone who covers him and has written about him and has interacted with him many times one-on-one and personally, he not only is he a good man, but he has assembled... Uh, one of the most all-star cabinets and response teams in in history. My wife this morning said that she she said there's going to be no better governor in my lifetime aside from perhaps uh, William Donald Schaefer. I praise and I think he's earned every bit of it. I would put him right up there in the pantheon of great governors in Maryland history. I'd put him right up there with the likes of McKeldon and Richie. Um, you know, one, one, one thing I, I remember, because I teach, you know, I teach crisis communication on the side. I, you've been to my class mm-hmm. at Hopkins. And one of the things that we learn when taught, when dealing with a public health crisis is that when it comes down to a conflict between public health and any other consideration, public health always comes first. You know, I, I remember the, I, I don't know how old you are, Ryan, but I don't know if you recall the 1982 cyanide crisis where uh where 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 tylenol capsules were being laced with potassium cyanide Hmm. and people were died the metropolitan chicago area and the things that johnson and johnson the parent company did time and it was a radical step they withdrew they recalled every single product in the united states $100 $100 million worth of product in 1982 gone. And the, and the shareholders took a hit. They took a hit. But the message was public health trumps everything else. And I think that by virtue of his words and actions, they're sending that same message that there's no substitute for human life and public health will always remain our top concern. And I couldn't be any prouder of the man. I'm honored to count him a friend and I consider him a, an amazing governor. He's taken some criticisms as well, and people think it, people are taking it personally, and I can understand why. Look, there's a lot of people out of work. This will be an yeah. economic crisis, uh, unforeseen in, in history, perhaps. Uh, unemployment is skyrocketing now. People are desperate. They're out of work. They're not getting their stimulus checks. The response by the federal government has been absolutely abysmal. It is a worldwide embarrassment. Every time the president of the United States steps up to the podium to make a, uh, a statement, he embarrasses this country, he embarrasses the American people, and he has no shame. And I look at- I, I, I find it, I, going back to the last topic, I find it ironic, with, I find it ironic that I got pilloried by the extreme right for uh, for my desire to feed um, to feed these folks moon pies, when Donald Trump, their president, 
actually went up to a podium emblazoned with the seal of the President of the United States and talked about the restorative qualities of ingesting disinfectant. <laughs> disinfectant and UV light. And then <laughs> it's always interesting how the, the, the hardcore supporters of Donald Trump, and there are some who just shrug it off and say, well, that's not what he meant. And I think that it's not what he meant, it's what he said, and I don't think he knows the difference. And he wasn't being sarcastic. Sarcasm is talking about moon pies. Uh, and But the difference is, is that he was spitballing at the podium, and then yet it's funny how the Trump supporters come back and say to people that watch this objectively and think, this guy is just absolutely nuts. And they think that they have something on us. Like, they know his ulterior secret. They know the motivations of this guy, that he's some sort of genius, but uh, he's the, the blue-collar billionaire genius that talks about uh, using disinfectant. And then they make excuses, and then they go on national television and send out their surrogates, and then they lie to us uh, via the, the press secretary, and then they go out and continue to tell these just ridiculous lies and expect us to believe it. Meanwhile, the president during this crisis is tweeting uh, just about everything that has no relevance. It is probably the most, the worst leadership I've ever seen. And I hope that that woman, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, she, I hope that she comes out of this, and I think she will. She's going to be a star. She's going to be a... And Andrew Cuomo, Gavin Newsom, governors like Mike DeWine in Ohio, and governors... Uh, from Delaware or uh, Tom Wolf up in Pennsylvania. Uh, Lynn, let me ask you this. Looking at the future, and Peter Francho wants to be governor in 2022. His term would then begin in 2023. What would be Peter's approach? What would be his playbook? And if you were leading him and you were leading those efforts as his chief of staff, how would he, would, how would he approach this? Well, I never like to address hypotheticals, but I can tell you that Peter, uh, as you know, his you know his relationship with Governor Hogan. I do. You know that they are they are professional colleagues. They are personal friends. Um, can you see me? Okay. Yeah. I lost you momentarily here. Okay. They're personal friends, uh, and Peter has nothing but the highest possible regard and appreciation for how Governor Hogan has handled this crisis, and I think. At the end of the day, Peter's approach would would come down to the same core values that has informed how Governor Hogan has handled this thing, which is that public health, the, the preservation of lives, the preservation of public health, that is the number one priority. And you know, but, I'll, but I'll say but I'll say something else, Ryan. We're gonna we're gonna win this crisis. We're going to overcome the public health crisis in spite of Donald Trump and in spite of some of the, the, uh, the more, you know, the, the more extreme elements, uh, of our society, that are trying to undermine, uh, these stay at home directives. We're going to get through it. What happens next is going to be the next great challenge in American society and our political process, which is how do we win the recovery? Right. And Peter's been spending a lot of time talking with, civic and economic leaders in communities across our state thinking about the approach that we're going to have to take, the fundamentally different approach that we're going to have to take 
the public policy in order to win the recovery. And one of the things that Peter has said publicly is from this point forward, every single policy question that comes before us is gonna to have to be subjected to three questions. It's called the three-way test. Number one, does it put more money into the pockets of consumers and small businesses or does it take money out? Number two, does it make Maryland small businesses more or less competitive with those of our neighboring states? And number three, does it make Maryland a more or less attractive destination to live and retire? Hmm. Everything we go to do, whether whether in education or healthcare in the environment, it's we've got to think about what can we do to make our small businesses more competitive and to put more money back into the consumer's pocket because they are they account for between 70 and 75% of our economic output. And that's going to have to be a real big sea change in how we approach public policy. And, and you're going to hear a lot more from Peter Francho as he gears up for this gubernatorial campaign in the months to come. And as he thinks strategically about how to win the recovery. Well, there's, there's certainly some, some leaders who have emerged from this and the, the, the comptroller's office has been, proactive in their response with the keep the lights on campaign and supporting local restaurants and craft breweries and businesses and Peter and yourself and your entire team. And by the way, Lynn, I have to say between your team, um, between, you know, Susan and Alan, your comms team, uh, our, our, our dear friend, Clem Kakis, there's so many people to mention, uh, from, from the comptroller's team, I, I, you guys pardon I can't just mention one name of somebody who she does she's she does not seek the limelight um, but she stepped into a breach this past week her name is Sandy Zink and she is the director of our general accounting division you've never had her on this show and you probably never will because that's not how she likes to spend her time <laughs> uh, but she turned around she, she there were daycare provide there were child care providers in the state of Maryland who were providing services to the families of essential workers, first responders, police, fire, emergency rescue people, healthcare workers, uh, who were having to work nights, weekends, 24 hours round the clock to keep us safe and healthy. And these and these child care providers were providing services to children, to their children. And they hadn't gotten paid for like five weeks and they were struggling to just survive and keep the lights on. And, uh, and Sandy Zink, start, once MSDE started to get her these payment invoices on, on Monday, this past Monday, Sandy Zink, this woman you've never heard of, marshaled her team and she got them out the door the very day we got them, which is an unheard of turnaround time for government. And she got those checks in the mail. She got that money into, into electronic deposit, checking, checking accounts the same day. And she, she saved countless small businesses by virtue of the quality of her service. I want you to remember that name because as we look back eventually at who rose to the occasion, I want you to remember that name, Sandy Zink. She was a, she's an amazing woman. She's a dear friend and she deserves a, a, a real pat on the back. 
Len, Peter has Peter and the the comptroller's team have obviously been working uh, to make sure that people still are getting their tax refunds. That is the that is the core of the response as the chief fiscal officer of the state of Maryland. But look, there was a, a point where Peter had made a comment about the rent, and he got some blowback for that uh, from some progressive activist who. Uh, tried to use that as, once again, as a rallying cry to say, hey, look, Peter Francho is not one of us. In fact, a state delegate made a snarky tweet, which I think was one of the most reprehensible things that I've seen in state politics in years. It was unfortunate. And this is a, a damn good state delegate from District 20, Peter's home district, a district he represented for right. 20 years. And they're saying... Peter's comment was that we should, if if you rent and if you're having problems meeting your 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 daily your rather your monthly rent payments, talk to your landlord, talk to them, have a conversation. And somehow you would have thought that Peter said uh, something egregious. And I thought that the reaction was overblown. I thought that he took some unnecessary criticism. And once again, this delegate showed up. And put her hat on and said, today I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a partisan hack and I'm going to show up for the machine. Because even though we're in the middle of COVID-19, this crisis, I'm going to put on my machine hat because we still have to do our duty to make sure that Peter Francho does not become the governor. And right. I thought that that was pathetic. Well, you know, we, we, he got it from both sides. He got it from the likes of Delegate Wilkins, who... I think you described how I think you described her motivations thusly, but also he got you know here in here in Talbot County where I live because it was on the front page of our local newspaper. He got a lot of heat from folks who said, "Well, wait a minute. Um, if these people ask paying their paying their rent or paying their mortgage or paying their utilities." How are we the landlords? How are we the property management companies going to possibly uh, make do? And it was kind of a, a, a massive exercise in just cognitive dissonance because I think they thought that in a time when when unemployment filings had increased one month over the next, oh, one month over the last by five thousand two hundred percent, and people were taking cuts in wages and salaries and people were being furloughed, um, that somehow they alone could survive the laws of gravity and not take a hit. And so I think it was just a just a, an, a very odd, isolated, you know, um, very naive reaction. But I'm happy to say that, that we've gotten reports that so many Maryland, I'm talking thousands, Ryan, took Peter's advice called their creditor, called their service providers like their utility, and that the overwhelming majority of these businesses are happy to work with their customers. They also have families. They also have personal stress. They know what's happening in this country and, and, they, and they wanna do the right thing. So I'm glad Peter said what he said. And I'm glad to see that Maryland's business community in, in, by, in overwhelming proportions have stepped up and have been willing to be a part of the solution. Yeah, I, I agree. And I have to give you credit where it's due. The Keep the Lights campaign, the Keep the Lights On campaign has uh, been a positive reinforcement for the businesses. And I understand, look, I understand it firsthand. I see it every day. And my wife and I, we do our part 
to support our community wherever we can. We shop local. We go and order directly from the businesses. And some of these local places, and I'll give you an example. There's Our favorite Italian restaurant is in Gaithersburg, and it's directly down the... This, in, our favorite Italian restaurant is, of course, in Little Italy in Baltimore City. But right. our, our favorite place is a little place called Cafe Roma. And it's located... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's located right on the corner of 28 across from Quince Orchard High School. Mm-hmm. And it's in a little shopping center. And we go there, and I usually get the same thing, chicken Romano with chicken breast, a little bit of uh, mozzarella cheese, and then they give you a side dish. Kim gets shrimp scampi every time. The we we have they have discounted their their beer and wine at to forty percent when when you come in. And this is a company who went out go, went out of their way one night because Kim had an order and they just very briefly uh, just mistakenly messed up the order and it was no problem. So we just called back and said, hey, we'll come back and pick it. the owner of the company. A first-generation immigrant said, you guys are one of our most loyal customers. I'm going to deliver this, and it's going to be there in 15 minutes. Some of these businesses have met this moment, and I will forever be patrons, and I know the struggles. And we try to over-tip every time we go out. We try to – we're in a financial financial position where we can do that, and not all all families can. And – it's it is really hard to see friends and family who have been laid off, who are struggling, who haven't gotten their stimuli, stimulus checks, small businesses who are struggling. And I hear from small businesses, Len, who say we've reached out to the Department of Commerce, but we're still in this loop of waiting to get the funds. We're still in this loop of waiting to get the the backup, and the the backup hasn't arrived. And what do we do? And that's where their frustrations lie with the executive branch. And then in turn, they're demanding to reopen the economy. And I get it. I, I, I understand why, Lynn. And this is one of the worst periods that we've experienced. But it seems like they take it personally from the governor. But when you ask them, what's your plan to reopen the economy? I see the Liberty Act, if it's in God bless them, because they do mean well. The liberty activists would be the first people to defend our civil liberties in the event that they were trampled on. And I give them a lot of credit. But Len, when you ask them to really unwind their unwind their plan, they don't have the answers. And I say, if you're going to spend my time and waste it on social media complaining, why can't you, your group, this Reopen Maryland group, who I think that they mean well, but they just have terrible public relations, Len, they have no idea how to sell it. They have no idea how to go on television and make a coherent or cogent argument to say, here's where we disagree with the governor, but here's where we can find common ground. And it's no wonder the leaders of this group, they're, they're constantly using social media to attack, and they're in an echo chamber. They're making no tangible difference in their strategy. And if someone gave them a little bit of media training, then maybe they would make some headway. Or if, if they came out with a plan and articulated and built a website and said, here's our steps to reopen the economy, they might be... Slightly different from Larry Hogan, but we believe that this will help businesses, this will help families, and then we can do this in a way that maintains social distancing. Why can't this group get their act together? You know, I I think about Reopen Maryland the same way I think of uh, the heckler in the stand when I was playing baseball back in the day. And, you know, there's always some, you know, there's always some parent who's too loud, too aggressive, too overbearing. And when you're standing in the batter's box, right? What do they tell you? 
block out the noise. That's right. It's just you and the pitcher, the bat and the ball. And <clears throat> to me, I just the reopen Maryland thing. I had, you know, I had my fun posting with them. They had their fun attacking me and calling me every name in the book. To me, that doesn't matter. I think of I think of people like Charlotte Brink, for instance. Now, Charlotte and her husband Dan are they've really become very dear friends over the course of this pandemic. They're the owners of Dan's restaurant and tap house out in your neck of the woods, I think, out in Boonesboro, right? It's where I spent a sizable portion of my childhood. My grandparents live in Mapleville, Maryland, and most of the minor side and uh, my grandmother's side comes from Boonesboro. And Dan's Tap House, as I said on your Facebook, is the local town hall, the local watering hall. And for anybody who is thinking about going to Dan's, I, I think they're open for, for carryout. Please go I can't there. can't wait to go there when this is all, all over with, man. Yeah. I cannot wait to go there and just spend the night eating good food, drinking good beer, and, and getting to know my new friends. But, you know, she, but Charlotte called us um, right at, if, if you recall, the governor put out an executive order very early on, Ryan, saying that, uh, that restaurants and breweries, distilleries and wineries can deliver alcohol beverages right to people's homes. That's right. Right. And, uh, and, the, and, the, execu and the executive order said that you can, you, can deliver as long, you can deliver any product as long as it's in a sealed container. Mm-hmm. And at the and at and there and very early on, the Washington County Liquor Board was not allowing uh, mixed drinks to be served and delivered by restaurants. And Charlotte called and said, "Hey, we're being put in an un, undue disadvantage with our neighboring jurisdictions." So we we actually worked constructively with the liquor board. I know that Paul Quarterman, uh, the delegate, called and, and Senator Serafini. They were very helpful in in smoothing it out. And anyway. We got that. We got that ban from the liquor board lifted, and it's just. It doesn't sound like a lot in the overall scheme of things. Allowing a restaurant in Boonesboro to be able to deliver margaritas to the doorstep, but um, that's what the consumers wanted, and that's what they need in this moment. And that's money going back into a restaurant's pocket. It's going to be used to pay workers pay suppliers, pay vendors, and support other local community businesses. But there's hundreds of stories like that that are untold. There are yeah. hundreds of stories like Charlotte, like Charlotte Brink, who owns, again, Dan's Tap House. And as a Washington County native, born, raised, educated, family is still there. I love my hometown. Please go to, please, please, please go down to Boonesboro and visit Dan's Tap House. Take out, I'm going to go there. Kim and I are going to go there. Uh, and just get some takeout. We're going to go from Montgomery County and uh, and, and support this place because we love it. But but Len, you're you're onto something here, and these stories are so important. And I think it's our job in the media to tell these stories and to get these stories out. And I, I think we're going to see some truly wonderful moments come out of this 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 horrible experience. And but you mentioned Paul Quarterman, you mentioned Andy Serafini, consummate gentlemen serious lawmakers and legislators yeah. who have to work in the same district as Neil Parrott. Neil Parrott, a guy who back in 2006 wrote a letter to the editor before he became a state delegate advocating anybody who is HIV positive should be tattooed. That would be the equivalent of getting a tattoo to say that I am positive. What, what other 
portion of American history does that remind you of, Len? And this is a guy who has used his position as a state delegate in the state of Maryland to rail against same-sex couples, to deny people benefits, to use his religiosity to drive a wedge, and to basically just fundamentally make the lives of immigrants, people of color, and anybody who does not look like him and his family miserable. And he has, he's, well, I just want to say, he has accomplished virtually nothing, and now he's running for Congress in the 6th District, Len, and him and that kook Dan Cox down in Frederick, and, you know, his buddy Warren Miller, another one of these machine goofballs, suing the governor, a Republican, and then you got Andy Harris down on the shore railing against the governor, and, you know, the governor is, look, this is the Governor Hogan with Andy Harris. I think I know Andy's endgame. I mean, and I, I don't, I don't what really is know it? Harris, but listen, I don't think there's any secret that, that the governor is at least keeping his options open for his political life beyond uh, the governorship. And one of the potential options that might be attractive to Governor Hogan is a, is a run for the Senate. And... I think Andy Harris is setting himself up for a primary challenge to Governor Hogan from the far right, hoping, hoping that he could do the same thing to Larry Hogan that he did to Vernon Boozer in, uh, in 1998, and the same thing he did to Wayne Gilchrist back yeah. in 2008, which is, is knock out a, a generally popular incumbent, you know, moderate Republican uh, leader in a in a right of center Republican primary that's dominated by arch conservatives. Why do you think that they're suing the governor? What in, in the fact in the fact that Andy Harris would be, and and the fact that Andy Harris would be using this moment uh, to burnish his political credentials, it makes me absolutely sickened and embarrassed to have him as a congressman. Man, he's your congressman on the shore. He's he represents that district and. I watch. You know, you know, Ryan. I can't. I was thinking about this. I think that Andy Harris, and I think you appreciate what I'm about to say. I think Andy is both a cause and a symptom of the broken political system we have today. Obviously, he's a cause of the just the degraded discourse that we have, in which every issue, including the greatest public health crisis of our lifetime, becomes hopelessly polarized along partisan and philosophical lines, but the fact that Andy Harris can exist and he can say and do these things without any kind of retribution, it's a result of a broken political machine system of machine politics that allowed a group of lawmakers to go behind closed doors and create a congressional district that stretches from Tawnytown, Maryland, minutes from the Pennsylvania border all the way down to Crisfield and basically basically pushes all the half, most of the ultra conservative Republicans in the state into one district um, so that people like me are completely disenfranchised because we'll never have a competitive congressional race as long as the district looks like this. Has Andy Harris endangered lives? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, by his actions and his, it, it's nothing more than a, a political opportunity. And I understand that when opportunities happen, you take them and you, 
what's what's the old Rahm Emanuel phrase? Don't waste a don't, never waste an opportunity at a crisis. But I see Andy Harris is just fundamentally irresponsible, and whatever his in game is, and frankly, I don't I don't care, Lynn. I think that he has every time that he has an opportunity to do the right thing, he does the the opposite, and now he's attacking our governor. And look, he's the he's a he's a clown. He he's just that. And I I, I don't I don't mean to name call, but that's what other definition can we come up with? What other phrase or noun can we really come up? With? We're talking about a medical doctor, a guy who has a medical degree and attended some of the nation's best schools, is now shoveling this garbage out because it gets him political points. And I just think that's yeah. disgraceful. For sure, but we all, but you know we also have to think about this again. I think we have to think about the system that we have in place that allows a guy like Andy Harris to be politically created and it allows him to flourish. Um, Cause right now Andy Harris can do whatever he wants because he is, he is cruising with minimal opposition at best to reelection. He's going to get reelected. And as long as the districts are, are, are gerrymandered in this way, um, he'll, he will never face any real consequences for his actions. Um, you had a post today about Warren Miller, specifically targeting Warren Miller, um, who is by uh, my my latest um, uh, estimate is still locked in the Annapolis Cigar Lounge in the back room waiting to escape with uh, his bottle of bourbon uh, and his um, and his medium grade low price cigar uh, before he takes votes. Warren Miller. Every opportunity he gets, again, loves to do the wrong thing. And what's up with this guy? Tell me you about your post know, today. You want to know what caused it? So Warren Miller is a delegate from, uh, he represents District 9. It's uh, yeah, Howard County. I think he also has a little bit of Carroll County, I think. Um, actually, I think he's just Howard. But anyway, it's, it's, a very, it's a very conservative district. And he comes across as a very conscientious conservative, a thoughtful man. He likes to play chess and he he he, he has a look of, of someone who's erudite. This is a guy who throughout his entire legislative career has used his position in the Maryland House of Delegates to nurse grudges, to settle old political scores, and to do and to do the business of 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 corporate and political machines at the expense of consumers and working people. He is he is an he is an absolute worst possible example of what an elected official ought to be. In 2018, you may recall that he actually uh, he actually sponsored a bill to look at whether Peter Franco should be stripped of the re responsibility for regulating alcohol and tobacco. Job a job that he has done exceptionally well, for which we've earned national awards. And that whether that, that that those responsibilities should go to a new a whole new agency of state government, and subsequent a bill was introduced by Warren Miller was passed, and right now the law of the land is that at some point in the future, uh, at a cost of tens of millions of dollars, we're going to have a new agency of government created, new staff, new technology, new furniture, new new equipment. Um, just because uh, the Annapolis machine was frustrated that Peter Francho wanted to modernize and improve our state's beer laws.
You is the reform on tap effort of 2018. You may recall it. And Warren Miller took extreme personal offense to it and let and just led the effort within the Economic Matters Committee to not only to not only kill the bill, but also attack the motives of the comptroller and of those who were supporting the effort. Um, so here you have a guy who is masquerading as a conservative. He is opposed to the principles of free market economics, of, of allowing brewers to, to, to manufacture and sell what the market will allow. He is for wasting taxpayer dollars on creating even more layers of government bureaucracy. And now he's wasting even more money on a frivolous lawsuit against Governor Hogan at the worst possible time. You tell me how those are the actions of a conscientious conservative. Wow. I, I think that's a, a question that I'd love to have Warren Miller come on and talk about. And I've, I've talked to, to Warren Miller before, and he presents himself as an otherwise decent guy. I, I just think that he's been... He's put him. He's made some interesting votes, and you shouldn't go into elected office, Lynn, to nurse grudges. You know that's not that's not why people should run for office. They should not. They should run for office for a principle to affect policy and to to do good. I want to shift directions just briefly. A couple of different topics uh, that I want to cover before wrapping up. Uh, Joe Biden, presumptive Democratic nominee for the Democratic Party. He is on pace to win the nomination. Bernie Sanders has endorsed him. Pretty much every Democrat out there in national politics has endorsed him. And he's now coming under Joe Biden uh, on Friday, did an interview with Mika Brzezinski of Morning Joe and talked to her about the allegations that are uh, of sexual impropriety or sexual assault from Tara, Tara Reid. Right. And. The more that we unfold this story, the more that we unwind the story, the more questions I have. What is your response, Len? Yeah, for, uh, it, it, first of all, I support Joe Biden for president, obviously. And I'm going to support Joe Biden for president no matter how this thing comes out. Because, you know, on his very worst day and in, his, and in the very worst, darkest recesses of his character... He's a thousand times the man and a thousand times the leader Donald Trump will ever be. Um, I think she does. I, I, I think she misread deserves to be heard. I deserve. I think I think her claims deserve to be investigated. I don't know if I believe her. I think her story has evolved quite a bit. Uh, it has it has assumed several iterations over the years. It has evolved uh, and several people who she she claims had received the complaint, in fact, have, have, um, have disputed her version of events and said they did not, in fact, receive a complaint. Um, so it's, it, listen, I'm going to say the same thing here that I said about, um, about uh, um, Christine Blasey Ford. I believe that, she, that her claims have to be taken seriously, and I believe that her claims deserve serious investigation. We can't, we can't just say we believe women in this situation, but not in that situation. But I'll say this. At the end of the day, regardless of how this turns out, I'm going to support Joe Biden for president because we have to get Donald Trump's ass out of the White House, period. Lynn, the 
District 30 had a delegate selection that went through the Central Committee process. And the process ended up and resulted in someone who now is a sworn-in delegate to replace former state delegate Alice Kane in District 30, the uh, the, the, the former the late speaker's district, Senator Alfred's district. And the process to select the, the, the delegate it was has come under considerable scrutiny and criticism. Right. And the new delegate, Dana Jones, and I, I don't know much about her other than what I have read, um, got more votes than other people. I don't think anybody inside of the actual physical district, 30, um, from the Anne Arundel Central, County Central Committee voted for uh, Ms. Jones. And now she's a state delegate. There's been other people who have come out uh, Democrats to criticize this process, and it, it seems like s- perhaps somebody from Stuart Pittman's office picked up the phone and aided and abetted the process and made some demands or phone calls. What do you make of this process? And Lynn is is a central committees are the central committees rather? Is this, is it time now that we look at legislation to consider seriously consider special elections in place? Of- special elections. It's not even a judgment call. It's obvious. Um, inc- um, this is becoming a more frequent pattern, as you know. A, with each passing year, we see whether it's because lawmakers die, whether it's because lawmakers resign for whatever reason, they pursue other opportunities, things come up. Uh, lawmakers are, are leaving the General Assembly uh, with unfinished terms to complete. And... Yeah, uh, this this idea that we can this idea that a handful of people from one political party can congregate in virtual, if not literal, secrecy and have this very Byzantine process to uh, appoint somebody who is going who is supposed to represent Republicans, Independents alike, on the taxpayer dime is absurd. Uh, the costs of having a special election are minimal. Uh, the benefits in terms of public confidence in our small D democratic process are significant. And this is something that has to happen now because right now people are just frustrated and bitter. And it's not only a disservice to the citizens of District 30, frankly, it's a disservice to, um, to Delegate Jones, who by all accounts, is a is a fine person, a very capable person who will, in all likelihood, serve with distinction, and she's gotten off on the wrong foot simply because she chose to go through a process that's fundamentally flawed. Yeah, we have special elections. Period. Lynn Talls looks like that it's going to be postponed. I talked to Bruce Barriano on Wednesday. He called me and gave me the insight, and then uh, Marilyn Matters then uh, posted the story. Looks like we're looking at a date in September, what, 16th? I, I heard October 14th. Or rather, October 14th. Yeah. yeah. Um, so October 14th, and we're looking at uh, a little, maybe a little less hot day, maybe. Uh, I know. It's not going to be great because Tall's, Tall's brother is supposed to be three digits in the shade, right? Yeah. 100 degrees, and then we're supposed to be soaked through to our <laughs> – soak through two or three shirts in the course of one afternoon and head up the snappers and uh, get under the awning there and work off our sunburn. 
will probably have beautiful autumn for it. I don't care. You know, the, uh, the number ones are going to be huge that time of year, whenever we have it. I think just the important thing is that we have it, man. And, um, it's a legend. It's a, it's a, I, I don't miss it. And the last two years, you and I have started a new tradition of doing the Tall's after party at Snifters down in Cambridge. Yeah, man. Or rather, I, um, I, already, I already talked to Laura Sidnor over at Snappers. The Snappers. I'm sorry. If this is if this is the day, October 14, can you just circle on the calendar? Because uh, I'm going to be bringing everyone in again this year, and, and Ryan and I are going to be doing our thing. And yeah. she said, she said the patio is ours. Yeah, I'm 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 excited about that. And so, you know, it's been it's been an interesting weekend. One couple, two more topics. One, your thoughts, Congressman. Uh, Kwayeze and Fume uh, went on to a special election and won by an overwhelming majority, over 70%, I believe it was 72% against right. the Republican opponent. And it looks like he's, he's, well, not looks like, but he is returning to Congress and soon he'll be sworn in. What do you think about that, Lynn? I'm happy about it. He's a good man. He's a good man. He is a national leader and yeah, in this time when we're going to be experiencing an extended period of fiscal and economic crisis and social social disquiet around the country, Baltimore City and the state of Maryland are going to need every single uh, powerful voice advocating on its behalf for resources and attention. And that's a and Kwasi Nfume is a a man of real stature who will be an amazing advocate for. The city and the seventh district in the entire state. Yeah, that's a that's a real that's a huge get for all of us. Yeah, look, I want to give a quick shout out. Um, I I live in the city of Gaithersburg, and we're very fortunate to have an exceptional city council and mayor. In fact, Judd Ashman is my neighbor. He lives right down the street from me, and uh, great guy. Yeah, and we have great members of our city council. Ryan Spiegel, uh, a great guy and a terrific. Uh, a terrific council member. Uh, we we have Mike Sesma. Uh, we have Neil, and then we we just have a fine council, and they have done an extraordinary job of working through this crisis, like many local governments. And I'm going to miss seeing these guys down at Mako. I'm going to miss seeing these guys down at MML. And I know that Mako looks like they're going to do some digital sessions. Still, though, it's not going to be the same. And look, Len, we I'm going to miss Ocean City, uh, but next year and that's okay I, I would much rather stay home and halt this curve and pay very careful attention to dr fauci's esteemed medical advice and flatten this thing so i think that some of these summertime activities that are the pivotal events of the year we can wait until next year we're still going to have we're still going to be able to talk to one another and we're still going to be do do these zoom sessions but um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, what's to come and moreover, Lynn, I want to, I want to say two more things. One is that we didn't really get to talk about session that much. And as we were wrapping up, there was some breakout stars this session. And then there were people who were just pulverized politically. And a couple of the breakout stars that I've noticed, um, was one was delegate Michelle Guyton, who is from a Baltimore district near Towson. And she put forward a couple of great bills uh, to protect seniors, to protect vulnerable American, uh, vulnerable Marylanders. And I think that she has done a tremendous job 
this session. And I think some of the, uh, and I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, I, I think Cheryl Kagan, my state senator, had a phenomenal session. Yeah, and, I agree. and she really has buckled down and supported uh, the, the 911 community with her next generation bill. Uh, she did some work on uh, people who are intoxicated with cannabis and who decide to drive. And Cheryl Kagan has stepped up her game. Really, not that she needed to, but she has really stepped out um, now as the vice chairman of, of a new committee and has done a great job. I think Will Smith did a phenomenal job heralding his new committee, taking over the responsibilities from uh, from the former state senator who decided to retire. And I think that there was a couple of breakout stars, and I can't recall them all on the top of my head. But, Lynn, I think the person who took the most extreme beating and for good cause, and I think the person who sh could have shown promise and who didn't and just was a total letdown was the House Majority Leader Eric Lukey with the tax issue. And I think that that will come to define him. And I think that he overshot. And I think that some of the committee chairmen who joined that bill overshot. And obviously so. The machine doesn't often pay attention to everyday Marylanders. And that's why they lose the governorship twice uh, in, in, in four years. And I think that his tax scheme of lowering the state sales tax to 5% and then raising fees on practically every element of the economy was a total miscalculation and it was a, an embarrassing defeat for the newly appointed House Majority Leader. Well, he's a smart, I mean, Eric's a smart guy. And, you know, uh, there are times, I, there are times I, I agree with Eric. There are times I disagree with Eric. Um, and that's fine. I mean, there, that's, just, that just, that's the way we are as, as people, right? You, we, all, we all have our ups and downs with one another. I think the whole issue with Kerwin is a... That's what we were referring to, the, the Kerwin legislation. And I, I think that that's, this is an object lesson in how we are going to have to re have to have a new, fundamentally different approach to public policy as we move forward. Because think about it. Th when, think about the context and think about the, the, the situation we were in when, when Kerwin was being conceived and debated. Public school education looked fundamentally different then than it does now. Who would have thought in January that we'd be sitting here in the middle of May and students would be learning online <laughs> and that we would see a digital divide between the students who have laptops and who have access to high-speed internet and those who don't have those essential tools? Who would have thought that we would be thinking about having to see children six feet apart when we eventually go back into a classroom, right? Uh, who, would have, who would have thought that, um, that remote learning technology, the way that teachers can communicate with their students digitally would have to be completely revisited because of the situation. So I think it's an opportunity for us, to be honest, Ryan, it, to not only with K through 12 education, but with higher education, because they're going to be experiencing several of the same financial and logistical challenges that we have in K through 12, to take this as an opportunity to think big and think about how to modernize and re refine our approach to how we deliver these essential services and how we present the product to our families. 
because the world we live in now bears little resemblance to the world we had two months ago. I think that you're right, Len, and I also believe that while the challenge of administering education and online learning has caused lots of plenty of angst between parents, uh, we are no exclusion to that. Kim and I have done our level best as we're home working and practicing safe social distancing to also educate our children, and we have really had to tap into some creative resources, but no less, I, I feel terrible for some of the teachers, and I know that it's been a, a challenge, a real challenge, especially for low-income uh, moms and dads who are out of work, and maybe English is their second language, and Lynn, I, I feel for them, and as a community, I know we're trying to help them as best as we can, but it's it's a challenge, and I think we're going to restructure the way that education will be administered. So finally, I want to say that today is World, it's world Press Freedom Day, and it, I would be remiss if we did... <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 my mind drifted for a second. Uh-huh. No, I was, I was going to say we would be remiss... If we didn't mention some of the all-star power players of the Annapolis uh, press pool, and I mean this sincerely, and sometimes we joke, but people like the Baltimore Sun, Luke Broadwater, and Pam Wood, critical players, and I could name numerous reporters, but people like Luke who unfolded this story on Catherine Pugh that ultimately led to her her resignation and then subsequent conviction and then soon-to-be imprisonment, uh, Luke is an all-star, and Brian Sears and I have mixed it up, but at heart, Brian is a very good and decent guy. I don't always yes. agree with him, and he may not understand what I'm doing or how media is changing, but Brian Sears is one of the textbook all-star reporters, I and I have tremendous respect for him, and one of these days, we'll figure out how to move past this because I think he's a gentleman, and I think that he truly cares, and he does his job really well. Josh Kurtz is the dean of the the he is the dean of Maryland politics. There's no one who has a better pulse on state politics than than Josh Kurtz and his team that he has assembled. Bruce Deput and Danielle, just phenomenal people who chronicle the state house. Excellent journalists who bring us news. Maryland Matters is a new and innovative news source in Maryland, and frankly, it's where I get majority of my statewide news, and they are on top of every story. Old school guys like Lynn Lazarick from MarylandReporter.com has been around for quite a bit of time, but still no less is as fresh and still sharp-minded as he was the first day he walked into the Annapolis Beat. And Len Lazarick has been a, uh, a uh, just a guy who's given me some some good life advice. Aaron Cox from the Washington Post and Ovita Wiggins, just two all-star beat reporters who go out every day and scoop up some of the best content and deliver news as it should be delivered. And I want to and I want to give a final shout out to our friends at Red Maryland. Brian Griffins, who are going off to greener pastures, him and Greg, uh, have decided to end Red Maryland. And while we may not always agree with them, they have put together something from nothing, from scratch. And it started out with people like Andrew Langer and Mark Nugent, who is um, a, a brilliant guy and has used language and, and words um, that sometimes I don't understand that I have to look up. And even spite our, our differences with Red Maryland's content, 
I give them tremendous credit for what they have built and put out a product and maintain that and were consistent. And sometimes they did some great reporting. And I want to just say congratulations to Brian and Greg for all of their hard work for 13 years of accomplishment. I'm proud of them. And um, they may they may not agree with what we're doing, but I still no less respect the work that they have done. And Red Maryland has been a pivotal movement in this state where people rely on the the conservative take in a state that doesn't always present the the counterbalance. So congratulations to Red Maryland. And I do truly wish Brian success and his new adventure, the duck pen. Couldn't have said it any better, my friend. Um, I read a great story a few months ago in Governing Magazine about, and, and uh, a team of researchers went out and they looked at communities that had a thriving independent press, independent newspapers uh, and blogs and whatnot, as opposed to those who don't have a thriving press infrastructure. And it showed among other things that the, the, the financial situation in towns that have a thriving press corps is on average about in, in terms of like the interest rates on borrowing. That was like one in, you know, their credit worthiness, about 50, about 50 basis point difference uh, when a, in a, for a town that actually has a thriving press corps because that press corps is there to hold elected officials accountable for the, how the taxpayer dollar is being spent. They hold, they hold uh, appointed elected officials accountable for wasteful and inappropriate spending. And that forces and creates this climate of fiscal accountability that doesn't exist when elected and appointed leaders are allowed to operate in a black hole. So uh, not only for the continued function of our democracy, but for the fiscal and economic stability of our communities in these most unstable times, we need a strong press score. I agree. I support everything you said, and I, I like the fact that most of the folks that you've mentioned here have figured out are figuring out how to adapt to this changing environment, and they're doing amazing work in the process. Even, so, even our friend, the curator of Maryland Politics, Barry O'Connell, and Barry and I, um, we recently had a disagreement, but I miss I miss him, and uh, I I hope that we can reconcile. And uh, Barry makes me laugh sometimes, and sometimes I don't I don't always agree with him, but he's still no less. Uh, he has something. He built this Maryland politics group again from scratch, and I'm I'm hoping one of these days that we can shake hands and uh, forget whatever disagreement. And, I, and frankly, I don't I don't even really remember because I I uh, I've been a little bit. If I recall, it had to do with the fact that you showed disrespect to Michael Feldman's bid for the second congressional district nomination. He was primarying Dutch Ruppersberger. I think Barry might have been kind of the uh, kind of the Pygmalion figure behind Michael Feldman's insurgent bid. So if that was indeed the if that if that was indeed the the wall that came up between the two of you, I hope that that has that can somehow uh, melt away and you guys can get back on the same page. I know that we will. And he's a, he's a good guy and he's, he's done a lot to, to get certain messages out in, in the state of Maryland that we may otherwise not heard of. Lynn, it was a pleasure to, to catch up with you. And I know the last month has been interesting for, for you, for all of us really. And uh, I appreciate the work that, that you do and to anybody Likewise, who's, buddy. yeah, and, and by the way, there's a guy that's on my, um, 
on my status right now and my personal status. And his name is, um, let me see, I wrote it down. He is on my personal page. His name is Jack Adkins. And I, I typically wouldn't do this, but I want to give a shout out because he is now, he's threatened to dig up dirt on me. And I said, listen, I'll save you the trouble. I'll just give it to you in a case file. I'll just send. And I said, stand by. And he said, TikTok. So to Jack Adkins, um, I will gladly send you my my personal personnel file of all the things that I have done wrong in my life and the the curse words that I've used and the times that I've spent in the confessional um, up at my alma mater Duquesne University. So Jack, you should expect a a phone or you should expect a uh, a file coming your way about on the dossier on Ryan Miner and there's some there's some juicy stuff in there. Well, if you've, if you've lost Jack Gagan's support, now you never will be admitted into the Cosmos Club. So the, uh, my humble apologies. Lynn, cheers to you and your moon pies. And, uh, I, cheers, pal. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And I like that cult classic hat. And when, this is, uh, when some of these social distancing restrictions have been lifted, um, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to go out to eat with my family. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to plan an immediate trip down to Easton and we're all going to get together and uh, we can hang out and uh, we, we'll go over to Snifters and uh, have a good time. I look forward to it, pal. All right. Ask to Kim if you would. I will. Thanks, Len. Thanks for coming on today. You too, pal. Bye-bye. All right. See you later. Hey, it's Ryan again. Let's make this thing official. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast through iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or virtually any available podcast directory. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, by all means, maybe write nice things. Think about it. Sharing is caring. Could you do one more thing for me? Visit and like us on Facebook.com slash A Minor Detail and follow us on Twitter at A Minor Detail. Remember, that's minor with an E. Now, head over to aminordetail.com and sign up for our morning newsletter. Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing. I promise. It would be a pleasure to have you advertise on this podcast. You can reach out to me at ryan at aminordetail.com and let's talk. I know, that's a lot. But I have to ask. You all are great. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.